Hey there, adventurer. I appreciate you taking the time to do an investigation check and dig into the archives of the show. I wanted to let you know that this is an old episode back when the show was called The Hard Thing Podcast. The topics are still the same, though the format and some of the names are different. If instead you are coming back to The Hard Thing Podcast, well, surprise, we changed our name and some of our branding. Feel free to hang out in the archives and listen to all the wonderful old episodes of The Hard Thing Podcast or take on a new adventure by listening to some of our current episodes. Either way, happy adventuring. How do you carry on when someone very close to you has been taken from this world? And what sort of things do you think define you as a person such that when you might not feel you have a purpose, you still get up in the morning and live your life? Well, that's what we talk about today on The Hard Thing Podcast. Welcome back to another exciting episode. Welcome back to the new year. Happy New Year, everyone. Uh, for those of you who are new to the show, I'm your host, Justin Lewis, and I'm here to help you learn meaningful ways to overcome the hard things in your life right now, and in doing so, overcome all the hard things that come in life. Uh, and today I have an awesome guest, but before we get to that, I want to talk to you about Operation Underground Railroad. First of all, they are a nonprofit organization that goes undercover to rescue kids from sex trafficking, also known as OUR. They go into very dangerous places putting their lives at risk to rescue the innocent of the innocent who have been abused and tortured in, in terrible, terrible ways. And you know what they need right now? The biggest piece of help that they need is just more awareness. So I'd like to invite you to go to OURrescue.org, learn what they're all about, and just get involved. Now, let me tell you about today's guest, Jay Steinfeld. I have the opportunity of talking with the founder of Blinds.com, who grew that business from the ground up and was eventually able to sell it to Home Depot for an enormous profit. But he also recently wrote the book Lead from the Core, which is an amazing book, uh, if it's anything like what we talk about today. Today, we spend a lot of time talking about core values and learning to really be authentic. Not really authentic, but, but, but learning what you care about in life and using that to form your own culture. It's, it's an amazing conversation. I can't wait to get it to you. So without further ado, here's my conversation with Jay Steinfeld. All right. Well, thank you for coming on the Hard Thing Podcast, Jay. I'm excited to have you here and, and have this conversation with you. Justin, thanks for having me. Yeah. And, and I, I do have to say Merry Christmas um, in case we don't see each other before next week, Christmas. But Merry Christmas. Um, thank you. You're welcome. Same to you. <laughs> thanks. Uh, well, well, let's get started with the question that I ask every single guest. And I didn't prepare you uh, on purpose. I usually don't prepare guests about this question. But Jay, what's the hardest thing you've ever done? Well, the hardest thing, there's a lot of hard things I've done. But probably without question, the hardest thing that I've ever done was continue my business and continue my life after the death of my wife, Naomi, whom I'd been married to for 25 years. We met in college. I was a junior, got married right out of college. I was 22 years old. And she'd been sick with cancer for five years. And this was a year after I started Blinds.com. So, it was really not much of anything at the time, but I had to decide what I wanted to do in life. Would I continue with the business? What made me tick? Could I continue being a, a father of three? How, how, do I, how do I do that? How do I maintain my optimism? Could I ever be happy again? I mean, I was devastated. But I, what I did was think about introspectively, deeply introspectively, what it is about me that makes me me. And I started reading books and getting help and thinking, why do I exist? What are my core values? Because before, core values for me were these soft, squishy ideals that were created by the HR department and put on a plaque, hung on a wall, and never thought of again. 
I was an accountant, a CPA, debits and credits, black and white, make money. This was all new. So as I started thinking about it, I realized that I did have some specific core values. And I don't know if we're going to get into all that, but it was because of my ability to understand what my values are and why I wake up every morning and what I do, what my behaviors are as a result of those values, that I was able to persevere. I did develop the grit and created blinds.com and it became the number one online retailer of blinds in the world. And 13 years later, sold it to Home Depot for a lot of money <laughs> and stayed on with Home Depot for almost seven years after selling to Home Depot. Wow. And it's still the number one online retailer of blinds in the world. And we're beating Amazon and everybody. It's awesome. But I will say this, you, know, you talk about hard things. It's still hard. And one of the ways I've been able to reconcile that is through understanding the paradox of life. And that is, if something is really terrible in your life, and this death was terrible, and my mother also died of cancer at the age of 46 as well, ovarian cancer when I was in college. So death to me was not new. And the two most important women in my life both died at 46. But when, uh, when I um, uh, started thinking about paradox more, I realized that I would forever be sad. It wasn't that I was going to get over being sad. I'm still sad today, but I'm also blessed and have a tremendous amount of gratitude and being able to have the coexistence of being sad and happy at the same time is how I've been able to deal with it. And so many people have asked me, how did you do it, Jay? How did you persevere through that? And it was by the acceptance of the sadness and not trying to overcome the sadness, but to, to have those two views at the same time. First of all, uh, condolences for your loss. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm not a very tactful person. So if I, if I say anything insensitive, please let me know. But um, it, uh, I, I've heard many of my guests say that you are the artist of your life. You know, your life is kind of a work of art. Uh, and recently, for some reason, I've just also been thinking about how I've heard a lot of artists say that you have to suffer for your art. So if you pair those two things together, if, you, if your life is a piece of art, then those who have the prettiest lives, say, might have suffered the most. And that may or may not be an unfortunate truth. And, and it's, it's difficult sometimes to be in the thick of it. But that your experience is kind of a, a perfect example of, of what I call the, the paradigm, not the paradigm, the spectrum of choice when it comes to difficult things. You were engaged in a hard thing that was 100% your choice, blinds.com. Um, you know, and then you were blindsided, I'd probably say, more or less. I mean, five years, but still, um, that's something that can take the breath metaphorically out of anyone. Um, by this hard thing that was not your choice, right? You, you, you would have chosen otherwise. And I find it interesting that one hard thing impacted the other one as to whether or not you would continue kind of, it, it disrupted your whole life. And that coexistence of sad and happy is such an interesting concept to me. Um, and, and accepting your sadness I'm not sure exactly if I understand exactly how, how one does that. Um, so if you could. I, 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 yeah, can, I can explain that maybe in a little more concrete way. Perfect. Uh, they say that there are people who see a glass half empty and others who see it as half full. I see the glass as half empty and half full. That's the difference. You don't choose one or the other. You accept both. 
You accept the brutal facts that sometimes life is really, really horrible. And you don't dismiss it. You just say, that's how it is. And with that, you say, but life is also beautiful. That's how it is. So by being able to accept both of these things together, you don't have to choose. If I had to choose, I would have deep sadness and regret to say, well, it was because my wife died that I was successful. That's a horrible thought. I don't want to think that. In some respects, it might be true. But that's how it is. And I have to just accept the blessing that I was able to overcome it. And not only for myself, but for all the people who are with me, the hundreds, thousands, and now hundreds of thousands of people who are benefiting from this. While I'm still sad, almost 20 years later, about the death of my wife. Um, this, this concept kind of reminds me of a concept I was talking to another guest. His name's Marty Strong uh, about he actually, his hardest thing was the death of his son. And he told me that he and his wife every year, instead of commemorating the death of their son, they, they celebrate the birth of their son in kind of Viking-like fashion. They get a birthday card, light it on fires, you know, send it up to the heavens and things like that. And to me, what you're describing kind of, uh, resembles this idea that you both celebrate and memorialize kind of everything that happens in your life. And I think this is very powerful because I was actually talking to a friend the other day. Uh, he is interested in, he's a graphic designer and he, he wants to create board games, you know, and, and I was talking to him, like, how do you go about prototyping? And he's like, well, you, you do it in the cheapest way possible. So you can test and iterate as fast as possible and change things. And, uh, and then he mentioned like, I think my biggest problem is I'm just too much of a perfectionist. Like it's gotta be right before I let someone test it out or whatever. And, and I think this coexistence of sad and happy, um, obviously it helps us deal with tragedies in our lives, but I think it also might be a good prescription for dealing with maybe bits of perfectionism because like you said, you can accept both the good and the bad. You don't have to choose one or the other and you can kind of, you, you yourself can coexist with the good and the bad rather than having to get rid of one or the other, you know? Yeah, I, I, you know, I've written a book called Lead from the Core, which just came out last week. And by the way, it became a Wall Street Journal bestseller, <laughs> which awesome. is pretty awesome. Yeah. Uh, but in it, there's this whole section on paradox. I have a whole chapter on paradox. And some people have told me that just the list of like 26 paradoxes for leaders was worth the entire book. Just reading these paradoxes, like for instance, you need to have this compelling long-term vision while aiming and taking dead aim on what you have to do today. They both exist. Keep that long-term vision in mind, but make sure whatever you have to do right now gets done. That's a paradox. How do you get, how are you, uh, how are you risk averse, but yet experiment frequently? I am risk averse, but I experiment like there's no get out. So I will experiment without fear of failure, yet I'm risk averse. How do you do that? Well, there is a way to do it. Read my book and you find out. But I can, we can talk about it now, but that's the kind of thing. Because I think it might actually be the one thing that if you can do is be able to understand paradox and understand all these different life changes, you don't have to decide where you want to be. It provides you with that balance that you can actually almost do anything because you don't have to say, do I, how should I be at work and how should I be at play? Am I a different person at work? No, you're the same person, both places. You're a person. Why should you be different at work? And how can you work really, really hard to have fun? There's no difference between, you don't choose between 
Do I either work hard or do I take off and have fun? Well, what if you can make work really, really fun? That means the harder you work, the more fun you're having. My wife tells me that every day when I went into the office, it was like going to my playground. She said I had fun every day. And she's right. I worked my butt off. I worked as hard. I was the hardest working person in the room, but it was never work. Because I understood that by having teams and setting compelling long-term visions and everybody being aligned and we all working and doing consequential work, doing things that people didn't ever believe we could do, the near impossible, that was fun. It was so fun to do things that people told us we would never be able to do. How could we sell blinds online when people couldn't see them, touch them, measure themselves, install themselves, didn't even want to give their credit card on phone over the phone or online because they were afraid. This was like really early. Yeah. Um, well, we did it and we did a lot more. Super fun. That's really fun. <laughs> so these are the kinds of things, these paradoxes. And that's why I can say with 100% certainty that if you can take death, at, which is the worst, or illness, and say, yes, that that's super bad. It's horrible. But also delight in life in those things that you, you see and don't try to dispel one or the other. That's the only way I think you can get through it. Don't bury it. Don't let it override the glory of what you can be. Just know it exists and move on. That's really powerful, especially because and I, I guess I've never really thought about this. But like, they are intertwined. You can't get rid of one without getting rid of the other. You know, you can't get rid of death without get rid, getting rid of life, because life begets death, and and there would be no death without life, um, which is which is really interesting. This, like you said, it's this paradox, and and just kind of a curiosity. Why do you think that we as humans just tend to kind of have this either or mentality? You know, either I am. Um, really good at work or I'm really good at my home life, you know, we generally forget that you can sometimes most of the time do both, right? Yeah. Well, you, well people provide these, uh, these stories about themselves. I'm not smart. I'm not fast. I'm not good at this. I am good at this. It's, it's not one or the other. In fact, maybe this will help explain it to you, Justin, who's there listening right now. My definition of success is not having to have achieved anything, not some extrinsic goal that I have achieved. My definition of success is being in the process of getting better and helping other people around me get better. If that's your definition of success, that means if you can just get a half a percent better at anything today, that's success. If through this podcast, if anybody has improved in any way, just a half a percent, then I have been successful today. You can actually be successful multiple times during the day. So what kind of, isn't that like the best? So, so you, if you want to take this paradox again, that means every time you learn something that's bad about yourself, you say, that's bad, but wait a minute, that's good, because now I've got something else I can improve. Awesome. So if you're in business and we had this, something a little more concrete, we had a direct mail campaign, and it was hugely successful but we forgot to send it to half the list. And they came to me and they, and they said, Jay, no. uh, we sent direct mail and we didn't send it to half the list. And I thought, well, it was super successful. Next time we'll do the whole list and just think how much better it will be. And that's really the, that's the way to think about things. Yeah. We didn't send to the list and that was bad. And why did that happen? 
did somebody just make a mistake? Was the list prepared improperly? Was it the system? Was it a process? Let's figure that out so it doesn't happen again. But let's not forget that it was immensely successful. Okay, it could have been more successful and we've learned from it. It's like um, experimentation. Mm -hmm. We have these two giant test tubes in the office. Like they're five foot test, test tubes. <laughs> in one test tube, they were, we put marbles in it for all the experiments that did not work. That test tube was full of marbles. In the other test tube, it's the experiments that did work. There's only like 15% of that test tube filled up. We show people that we are going to make mistakes and we're proud of it. Because if you're going to experiment, if you're gonna try something, if you're gonna to try to make yourself better, then you better be ready to lose because it's gonna happen most of the time. If it doesn't happen most of the time, you're not experimenting. You're taking like no chance. You're only doing the things that you know are going to work. So, and that's not even fun. You, what's fun is actually trying things, knowing you're gonna fail, and then say, whoa, that worked, awesome. So that way you're, you're, you're not setting the bar low, you just know that most things are not gonna work and yet you delight in the things that do and you just accept it. And that's what we did with the test tubes. We had these visual portrayal of, uh, of how we think. And we did all sorts of things like that to reinforce the idea of paradox to reinforce the idea of experimentation, to reinforce the idea of evolution, how we were going to evolve every day. And that's what I mean by being in the process of evolving is my definition of success. I, I think that's so powerful, especially the visual aspect. I mean, if you go back through all the, you know, all the most successful uh, empires of the world, they all had visual representations that helped to reinforce culture, whether for good or bad, admittedly. Um, but in this case, I, I find that just so evocative of this obvious emotion of excitement, curiosity, when you see a giant test tube and, and you think, okay, well, how many marbles can we get in the one that's successful? And what do we do with the marbles that overflow out of the one that is for failures? Um, yeah, get another test tube. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, I have to ask, this, this, this mentality, I think, can naturally be labeled by some as being optimistic, though I think it's more nuanced than that. Um, were there ever times or moments where your, your labeled optimism came in contact with someone who self-defined themselves as a, a realist and they found your mentality as somewhat grating? And, and kind of how did you how did you deal with team members who were less than optimistic, maybe? Well, I, we got rid of them. I love it. <laughs> because there was, the core values for us are, were so instrumental to our success. If you didn't delight, if you didn't relish in exploration of whatever we could potentially think of, you were not going to last at blinds.com. You weren't. When we hired people, we wanted to know that already within their DNA, that they were an explorer, that they were in their personal lives already looking to improve themselves. We didn't want them to come on because they had the great skill or we liked them. And then we would, we would help them understand that we had a culture of experimentation. We actually tested for that um, we'd ask questions, behavioral questions. Like, for instance, uh, Justin, give me some times uh, in your life. In fact, give me some times right now that you're doing anything to get better in your personal life. Uh, well, and they, if they, if that, you know, if if you can answer that, that was a that was a high. <laughs> oh, rhetorical. That was a yeah, it was a rhetorical that question. Okay, sorry. <laughs> it's rhetorical. So. But that's what we would do. And if they couldn't answer that question, we would not hire them mm -hmm. because we wanted to make sure this person already 
not just had the propensity, but had the behavior of improving. Because if that means they were improving, that means they had to try something new. They were already experimental and they knew that it might not work, but they were working towards something to improve themselves, which also means they were open to change and wanted to change. Not that they would just accept change as a given or a necessary evil, that they loved it, that it was fun, that they enjoyed the ride of exploring what they could become. And the purpose of our company, literally the express purpose of Blinds.com was to help people become better than what they ever believed possible. Help people become better than what they ever believed possible. That was our passion. It wasn't about helping them achieve something. It was helping them become better. So our turnover was 8%. Nobody wanted to leave because they were becoming a better person as a result of being at blinds.com, which becoming a better person means you then achieve more and you become a better spouse, a better significant other, a better parent, a better member of, the, of your community because you're improving, you're figuring out things about yourself that you didn't even know. And you're feeling pretty good about it. You're feeling that you're controlling your destiny, that you're not being blown in the wind, that you've got some, you know, you've got a growth mindset that you can control. I don't believe in it was meant to be. I don't believe, oh yeah, that was our destiny, of course. I believe that you control your destiny. End of story. And that every decision that you make at some point is going to come back and influence your future. I think, I think now would be an opportune time to kind of roll back the clock a little bit to the moments when you were working on figuring out your core values. Um, because, you know, that's something a lot of people have heard about. Uh, what were the actual steps you took to define those for you in such a way that their definition or, or the idea, the principles that you outlined in your core values had power enough to kind of shape your behavior? Well, the first thing, of course, was my understanding that I needed to know that. So I had already the, the not just curiosity, but it was almost a mandate. I needed to know why I exist. What is important to me? What are my priorities? When I wake up, what do I do? Why do I do them? I needed to know that. So what did I do? I started asking people who knew me well, good friends, my first two employees, Sharon and Ann. I said, here's what I think I am. And they'd say, no, that's not you. That's not, you're telling yourself a story. And what you need to do then is create a hypothesis of who you think you are. And you're gonna find that over time, you will start crystallizing these things much better. And it wasn't until even a few years ago, I'm talking about now, it's taking me 20 years to be this clear on who I am. Because when I started, I'd read books like uh, Built to Last, uh, Jim Collins, which is all about core values, and understood what those could mean. I read books on philosophy. I read uh, Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl, uh, The Happiness Hypothesis, uh, The Happiness Advantage. I learned about neuroscience, uh, biographies. Why was John Wooden one of the greatest coaches ever? What was his philosophy? Benjamin Franklin, the autobiography of Benjamin Franklin. How did he get to be so, uh, so big? What was, how did he think? So I read about other people and posed three core values. And I'm not going to go through what they were, but only one of them was true. And even that one has changed over the years because the words that I've used for them have evolved. And one of my core values is to evolve continuously. You've heard me already mention it multiple times. 
because it's that important. It's the number one thing. The second is experiment without fear of failure. In order to get better, you have to take some chances. The third is to express yourself. I want to be able to express myself. And in order to, to have a hypothesis as to what I might want to test, I need data. How do you get data? You get data from other people. And they're going to provide you with much better data than you could come up with on yourself because they've got multiple perspectives. And you hire a diverse workforce, you get diverse views. If you hire everybody who looks like you, all you're going to get back are people who talk like you and who think like you. And you don't need multiple purpose people of you. You need people who are not you so you can get better data. So that's the third one. And then the fourth is, I've mentioned this, enjoy the ride. And they all start with E, so it's easier to remember. Four E's. It's evolve continuously, experiment without fear of failure, express yourself, and enjoy the ride. 20 years is a long time. And to me, it makes perfect sense because, you know, I'm actually, my birthday's tomorrow. I turn 28. And uh, being on this world almost three decades now, it's kind of amazing how little I understand myself at certain moments when I think I understand myself completely and, and what really is important. Uh, well, first, let me just give you this advice, even though you haven't asked for it. So no, it's worth go ahead. Now, if you ever think you understand anything completely, then you understand nothing. <laughs> I love it. Because it's going to change and there's no way you can understand everything perfectly. Impossible. In fact, when you start a business, you can never have enough information. You can never have enough information. But, oh, here's another paradox. But knowing that you'll never have enough information is enough. Because then you can at least get started. So knowing that you don't know everything is great about yourself because that gives you opportunity to learn more. And as you, as you develop yourself over the years, your whole perspective changes, which means your benchmark changes as well. So what you thought was big when you're six years old is tiny when you're 28. Yeah. By the way, happy birthday. Thank you. <laughs> so everything changes. Life changes constantly. Data changes. The world changes. You change. So you never understand things perfectly. So anyway, that's my advice. No, that, that, that's really <laughs> insightful. And honestly, um, you know, thinking it, thinking about it from like a tactical military perspective, it, it's the exact same thing. The, a, military, a military commander's probably first priority should be continually gathering information about the changing situations. And in a business world, it's exactly the same. And I'd even say, you know, in a, per, in a, in a kind of your personal world, um, I often like talking about fatherhood and parenting, probably because I'm not one yet. And that's, you know, something that I, I definitely aspire to and uh, look forward to down the road. But, um, you know, even in your personal life, so many things are changing constantly that you do need to constantly recalibrate yourself to the reality of the situation. And like you said, one of the best ways to do that is gathering data from other people. And, and again, kind of just a curiosity, do you think that's maybe why a lot of companies fail in history of the last 50, 60 years is that they, they, they forget that they constantly need to be learning about changing realities and adapting themselves to those? It's certainly one of them because people who are successful, I guess this is one of those things, another paradox coming up. <laughs> and it really alludes to what you had said earlier, Justin. People who have been successful have been successful for a reason, and it's worked, maybe their entire life. Why should they change? It's worked, but it's because it may not work that you then say, well, I'm gonna take the safe route and just keep doing what I know works. But at some point, it's not gonna work. And I'm not talking about a point of diminishing return where it just doesn't work as well. It just flat doesn't work anymore things have changed to the point where, I'm sorry, owning a great way of, of sending out DVDs instead of streaming is just not gonna work anymore. Yeah. So people get set in their ways. They believe that what's gotten them there will get them to the next level. 
And when you're when you're in a big company, you can't really take a lot of risks because if you screw up, if you don't hit your numbers, you get fired. You don't get your bonus. And you're at a certain point in your life where you can't take that chance. So basically, you just do what you're told. You do what you know will get some numbers and you don't take any chances. And then maybe some people later on have regrets about not becoming all they could have been. I don't want that to happen. Yeah. It's not going to happen. <laughs> I, uh, I, I've seen this actually in my own personal life. So my wife is a photographer and before COVID-19 happened, we were using a service called Thumbtack. I don't know if you've heard of it, but mm-hmm. um, it, it's, you kind of pay for leads really. And it was working very well for her. And then right before COVID-19 happened, I think Thumbtack might've changed some of their pricing models and the leads we were getting and paying for stopped actually panning out. And we saw a dramatic decrease in business and things like that. And and then COVID-19 happened and her her entire business kind of ground to a halt. And looking back, it's, I, I can easily see that we had become so reliant on this one method, you know, this one channel of generating business and we weren't really paying attention to what was going on on the larger scale of things that you know the world moved on without us and we weren't able to adapt so that's really fascinating yeah. that we saw that in real time that's a, that's a, a good example yeah yeah um, another question i had is you know sometimes we as human beings we think we like you said we think we've arrived at an answer and we get really excited about it um, only to find that that we're wrong. In, in, in the 20 years of working on your core values, were there ever moments where maybe you had a big disappointment about any one hypothesis not actually panning out? Any one hypothesis? Specifically, well, let me, core I'm values. not sure if this is going to answer your question, but I can tell you that there were scores, maybe hundreds of things that I wanted to do. Yeah that I thought were actually going to happen and thought they were great ideas. And for one reason or another, they never happened. Like an acquisition I was going to make. We were two weeks away from closing to buy this company and it fell apart. Selling our company, we were going to sell, and all this stuff is in the book. We were going to sell to a really large uh, public company. Again, Two weeks before closing, they called and said, we've decided not to do it. What? What do you mean? I was really like thinking of all this money I was going to get. Okay. So what's the point? The point is that you don't actually need all the things that you want, you think you want. It's, and just, again, say it didn't happen. All right. Now what? What am I going to do with that? What do I do? And as it turns out that all these things that I thought I wanted, if any of them had happened, maybe even one, then maybe I wouldn't have sold to Home Depot ultimately. Maybe I wouldn't have written the Wall Street Journal bestselling book because of all that. My whole life kind of possibly could have changed because I got what I wanted. So when people ask, Is there anything you would have changed along the way? Is there any decision you wish you had never made? The answer is, yeah, I made a lot of what I thought were mistakes, but no, because I'm so happy with where I am that any one of those things, that one variable could have made a huge difference in where we ultimately ended up. If we had made that acquisition, maybe it would have been really a bad acquisition and maybe it would have hurt us financially. Look, if I had sold to that other company, we wouldn't have made as much money when we sold to Home Depot, which was way more. I thought that was a lot of money. No, that was not not compared to Home Depot. And I got to be with Home Depot for seven years. That wouldn't have happened either. So I think when things don't happen, just go, no, it wasn't meant to be, but what are you going to do about it? And you'll probably end up at the end of your life saying, I am so glad that all those things that I wanted to happen did not happen. (laughs) I I really think I'm going to write like uh, maybe a whole book on that or at least an article 
on all the things I wanted to have happen that didn't, and I'm so glad they didn't. Wow, that's really interesting. That reminds me of a, a parable. I think it's a, a Chinese parable, but farmer has a son who, uh, you know, and it, farmer buys a new horse, right? And his neighbors are like, wow, that's really awesome. Farmer says, yeah, maybe, maybe not. And then the horse escapes and his neighbors say, wow, that's terrible. And then the farmer says, yeah, maybe, maybe not. And then his son goes and finds the horse and brings back more horses. And his neighbors say, yeah, that's awesome. And he's maybe, maybe not. And then the new horses break his son's leg. And the, the neighbors say, that's, that's terrible. Yeah, maybe, maybe not. And then <laughs> you know uh, the army comes into town and wants to conscript his son, but they can't because he has a broken leg. And his neighbors say, yeah, that, that's great. And he says, maybe, maybe not. It's kind of this idea that um, as humans, we're, we're pretty terrible in the short term of judging the benefits of, of various things. And, and even sometimes in the long term, you know, I was reading a book lately about the, the disadvantages of the comfort that we've surrounded ourselves with. And it's a very interesting book uh, by Michael Easter. It's called The Comfort Crisis. Highly recommend it. Um, but kind of switching gears, what were the methods you used to help your team at, at, at blinds.com identify core values, live those core values, and, and propagate them throughout the organization? Well, they didn't identify them. I identified my personal, authentic, real core values. What we didn't do is read in a book that <laughs> in order to be a successful company, these should be your core values. Yeah. We didn't get together as a committee and say, who do we want to be? What should we have as our core values? No, those are goals. Those are aspirational goals. Those are not core values. The better question is, who are we? And based on the success that we've had, what caused that? What are the things, let's think about the best things that have happened to us in whatever period of time we've existed. Let's identify those things and find out why we love those things so much. That will give you some idea as to what your core values are. We did it because we worked really hard or we identified customer pain and we were in, just insistent on understanding about customers. Okay, customer intimacy. We will always be thinking about our customers or something like that. Not we're gonna delight our customers. Okay, everybody needs to delight your customers. Just what is your real core value? What causes your behavior? So I've already said, we've identified people in the interviewing process and weeded out people we hoped did not already have those core values. And then I've shown you how we've identified these things through artifacts and through uh, big uh, illustrations. Like for instance, evolve continuously. And this was not just about evolving for the business, it's evolving yourself personally. Right. So we had an evolve continuously board, a whiteboard, big one. It's like uh, seven by nine feet. And people would write on the whiteboard things that they were doing mainly in their personal lives to get better. I want to uh, become a better driver. I want to be more patient with my children. I wanna quit smoking. I wanna lose 25 pounds. They publicly write these things on the board and every week or so, when the board got filled up, we'd erase them and everyone would start again and put something new on there. And it was to, one, depict that evolution as a person was important. Two, it was to proclaim to people that, yes, I am one of those people. And this is what I'm doing. And I'm proclaiming that I am going to be more patient with my child. And then people would see this. And they go, oh, I see Justin wants to be a better driver. I would see Justin, Justin wants to be a better photographer. Uh, and they would talk to you about it. Hey, you're taking photography. I'm thinking about taking photography. Where do you take that class? And now we've got people talking and reinforcing the idea of personal improvement. Wow. Because that's what we do. That's really cool. Uh, and then, of course, when you want people to speak up, you have to be careful on how you respond when they do. And I think it's pretty self-evident. People have a hard time speaking up. It might be the hardest core value because people are told, don't speak up. Keep your head down. Do what you're told. 
and hopefully at the end of the year with a little brown nosing, you're going to get a raise. So, but that's that's not us. That's so we would we did a lot of different things to make it easy for people to speak up, and especially by helping our leaders know how to respond when people disagreed with them. Yeah, I wanted people to disagree with me because that helped me become better than ever I believed was possible. I wanted people to say, Jay, you said that we wanted to be intimate with our customers, but this process that we're doing, it does the reverse. Why are we doing this? Can, can, we must be able to do this better. I'm spending an hour a day on this task, and that means I can't help my customer. Let's fix this. That was awesome. That's what we would do. We would make sure that people knew what the behaviors were. We would identify these. We would help people. We would provide personal development, and we would encourage people to do it. We'd mandate it. Hey, you're, you've come to a meeting. I haven't heard from you once in the last month. Do you have a brain? No, we don't say that. Right. We say uh, we would really like you know say something much more supportive, but yeah. might have been thinking that a little bit. We, you know, we're paying you for your brain. We pay paying you because you're smart. We're paying you because of your skill. We're not getting value from that. We need for you to express what you believe to be true. And if you have a hard time speaking up in public, as some do, write a memo write an email, take somebody aside and just whisper to them, I think we have got an idea <laughs> or just have a proxy. Tell somebody else to tell me yeah. who you think will tell me more easily than, than you evidently have a hard time doing. And I'm not blaming you for not being able to do it. Maybe it's just because I'm CEO right. that you're having a hard time with the, the authority that, that's there. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, that's, those are the kinds of things we did. And that's all we did. It, and that's how we were able to build technology that was better than anyone. How we were able to uh, sell blinds in hundreds of millions of dollars. And now way more. It's like, it's stupid. <laughs> it's amazing is what it is. And uh, uh, kind of going back to the whiteboard that you mentioned, I think, um, one of the brilliant aspects of that, that at first I was like, wait, no, uh, you mentioned that when it gets filled, you erase it and you, and you start over. When you said that, I felt this cringe inside, like, why are you erasing all these people's beautiful goals and aspirations? And then, and then it hit me. That's probably exactly why you're erasing it because so many of us, we, we, we write something down and we brandish that as our accomplishment, but by erasing it periodically, you're constantly reminding your employees like, Hey, this is constant adaptation, constant evolution, constant improvement. And that's what we're about. Not necessarily what you put up, but that you're putting new things up constantly. Yes, so that's exactly that. it. Remember, we're evolving continuously. Exactly. It's not that we're setting a goal and accomplishing that goal. Mm -hmm. We are just in the process of getting better okay. at something. So and as we're getting better with one thing, we start taking on maybe something else. And maybe there... And it just gets you to be thinking like, okay, so what am I going to think of next? I need to post something up on that board. So right. what am I doing right now to get better? And then you start thinking about it. And you go, oh, yeah, I'm doing that. I'm going to write that on there. And you're really feeling good about, oh, yeah, I am evolving. Oh, wow, I am getting. And that other goal I had last time, yeah. I've done it. I am becoming better as a result of working here. I am becoming a better person. And if I just stay here a long time, who knows what's going to happen? I have no idea, but let's find out. Let's find out how good I can become. Wow. That's, that, that's a magical formula right there. Um, Jay, I have enjoyed this conversation so much. Um, there were a lot of questions that I thought up during the show that we didn't get to, but uh, that, that's how it goes sometimes. And that's how you know you've had a great conversation when after the show, you're sitting there thinking like, oh, yeah, and then you kind of keep going over it. But um, before we let you go, how can people reach out to you, support you, and, and see what's going on in your life? Well, my website, jsteinfeld.com, is a good place. Uh, LinkedIn, for sure. I mean, I'm all over LinkedIn. So uh, just connect with me there. 
Perfect. buy my book and you'll really understand a lot more about me and all these things we've talked about. And that's available at Amazon, Barnes and Noble, everywhere. Uh, even Target, that which was really cool. I was, I was looking, I did a search on, on my book mm-hmm. and Target came up. I said, really? My book is in Target? That's, that's awesome. That's awesome. That's, I wasn't thinking about that. That was, that was great. Uh, excellent. I will get those up in the show notes and as well, we do need to give our audience some action items. So this is what I came up with as far as a list for action items. So number one, work on evolving your core values. Number two, learn to accept good and bad. And number three, constantly be asking yourself, now what? Uh, with an intent to move forward. Did you want to add to that list at all? Well, I'm going to just augment that last one. Now what? Now what do I do? But be grateful for where you are right now. Say, wow, I've really come a long way. I love the fact that I'm here, but I also love the fact that I'm asking myself now what I'm going to get even better. Awesome. Awesome. So audience, look for those in the show notes, but thank you so much, Jay, for for coming on the show. I I really appreciate it. Um, We kind of went a little bit longer than I thought, so I'll just go ahead and and send you follow-up questions over email just so that way we don't dig into any of your time. Um, but thank you so much, Jay, for coming on the show and, and sharing your wealth of knowledge with the Hard Thing Podcast. Uh, it's just been such an immense pleasure. Justin, it's been fun. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah. And, and you have a great day. Um, like I said, I'll send you those follow-up questions over email. So Sounds good. Happy holidays, everybody. Happy holidays. Thank you guys so much for listening to today's episode. I am extremely appreciative for you and everything you do. Come back next week on Monday for another awesome guest. I actually have the opportunity to talk to Andrew Hallam. Uh, He's an awesome, awesome guy. Uh, But if you have any suggestions for the podcast, or you just like to reach out and talk to me about the hard things you're going through in life, reach out to me on Instagram at the hard thing podcast. I will respond. And then if you're still looking for any last minute gifts, I know Christmas was last month, but If you're looking for any gifts or anything for people you love, go to thehardthingpodcast.com. Look at our shop. We have all sorts of goodies there. Uh, I love doing the show, and I'm grateful to you for coming back every week. Last thing I need to say is just make sure you go out and do some hard things because you will overcome average. Hey guys, one quick announcement for today's show, and you might have heard this already, even in today's episode, but uh, I have an awesome opportunity for you guys. Once in a lifetime, you have the opportunity to have dinner with myself and a covert CIA operative. That's right, an undercover spy. Uh, My guest, Andrew Bustamante, has been gracious enough to offer himself up (laughs) Uh, as guest for a dinner with myself and one lucky audience member. So if you want to sign up for that, make sure you hit the link in the show notes below. As well, you can go to Instagram and hit the link in my bio at The Hard Thing Podcast. This is first come, first serve, and there's only one slot. So whoever signs up first will have the opportunity to come to Utah and have dinner with myself and Andrew Bustamante. It's an exciting opportunity. It's one that you'll be able to brag about to your friends of being able to sit down, having dinner with an undercover secret agent. So don't waste any time. Go ahead and sign up in the link in the show notes or go to Instagram at The Hard Thing Podcast and click the link in my bio and you'll find all the relevant information there. Uh, So look forward to having dinner with you.